0: So, Matthew chapter 26, please. And beginning to read at verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou will. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand that the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. Behold, he is at hand. It doth betray me. You know the Lord will bless the reading of his own word again. But let's just keep our Bibles open for we will be referring to it. And that's by bow in a word of prayer. Father, take us into that garden, we pray. Take us into the garden that we might see him. Lord, we can't do it ourselves, but we need your spirit to do it. We pray that the Holy Spirit would take us directly to Gethsemane, even as it were back in time, in our hearts, and our minds, Lord, in the Spirit. Lord, for you are eternal. and You can reveal to us and show us the things that happened on that evening in that garden. And Lord, even as we would watch, Father, and see it, we would be mindful, Lord, that these things would be difficult even heartbreaking to the man and woman who loves your son. Glorify your own name. Father, if there's one here that's not yet saved and knows not your son, but you let them see him? Not a preacher, not a pastor, but Christ alone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When little Olivia was being dedicated this evening... Of course, her name means Oliver, comes from the word olive. Uh, it can be olive olive tree, olive garden or grove. And so as soon as I knew tonight was the night she was going to be dedicated, Gethsemane came to mind. And the story that we have read is in Matthew chapter 6. It's in Mark chapter 14. It's in uh, Luke chapter 22. And it's in John chapter 18. The four Gospels tell us about the Lord Jesus in Gethsemane or in this garden on the Mount of Olives. It's only Matthew 26 and in Mark 14 that the word Gethsemane is used. The other uh, two evangelists don't use the word Gethsemane, just call it uh, to a garden or maybe just talk about the hill of Olivet or the Mount of Olives. So the word Gethsemane means olive Press or oil press. And it's where they used to press olive oil, olives, to get the oil from it. And they used to do it in such a way that this olive oil was so pure. And then they had a second phase of getting the oil out by crushing. The first one was by beating, and the second one was by crushing. Gethsemane is of an Aramaic origin. Gath is known as a town, and it's that area where it means a wine or an olive press. And then shemen means oil or fat. And so that's where we get the word olive press or olive oil coming from. And notice this, Gethsemane is God's olive press. Gethsemane is God's olive press. The story of Gethsemane, the characters of Gethsemane, the the roles that they play, as it were, in Gethsemane and the agony of Christ in Gethsemane are very dramatic and they're very important for us this evening, especially when we look and fix our eyes and behold the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done in the garden of Gethsemane. As I said, Gethsemane is on the 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 lower slopes of the Mount of Olives. So the mountain is full of olives, but Gethsemane was a gardened area uh, in the Mount of Olives or on the Mount of Olives. In uh, John's account, in John chapter 18, listen to what it says about the Lord Jesus and his link with this garden or Gethsemane. Verses 1 and 2, John 18 verses 1 and 2 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook, Sedron or Kidron that is. Where was a garden? Notice there was a garden. Into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also which betrayed him knew the place. Now note this. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. The garden of Gethsemane was a favorite place of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's strange because... The Garden of Gethsemane is the place where he ascends after his crucifixion and his burial, his resurrection. He ascends from that Mount of Olives where that garden is. The Bible tells us when he comes again, he's coming to the Mount of Olives as well. He's coming back to that. And I'll teach on it some other time, but I personally don't believe Gordon's Calvary is where true Calvary was. I believe it was in the Mount of Olives. But that's another story. That's another story. Jesus resorted all the time when he was in Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives. And he went to this garden in particular. And this garden in particular was Gethsemane. Strange how the olive is a symbol of Israel also. And how we see him crushed in the garden. Represents how Israel, the northern and the southern kingdoms, were crushed at the hands of God because of their sin. And I want you to note that. that. Crushed and they were dispersed because of God's wrath over their unrepented sin. See, it shows you that God is a God of mercy and God is a God of love, but he is also a God of wrath. And here the Lord Jesus representing that olive is crushed. Not only for the, the whole nation of Israel, north and south, and their kingdoms, but Christ for the individual sinner. In order that you don't have to be judged for the sin that you are in. We're going to look at it in the Lord's will in a moment. You see, Jesus was in the upper room. And he breaks bread and he takes from the cup and he passes it around. He says, this is my body which is broken for you. This too, in remembrance of me. And likewise, he also takes the cup and he gives it around to his disciples. He says, drink it. He says, for this is my blood or this represents my blood. The bread represents my body. I'm going to Calvary to die. And he leaves there. And in our opening verse in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36 says, then cometh Jesus with them. Onto a place called Gethsemane. Notice he leaves there, goes across the book Kedron, and he goes to the Mount of Olives and into the garden called Gethsemane. He goes right into God's olive press. He goes right into the place where they press the olives for the oil. And here's the thing. Uh, sometimes we wonder, was Jesus running away? I've heard some uh, critics say, Christ running away from the cross? Not at all. It says here he, he went there many times. He resorted there many times. And Judas Iscariot knew exactly where to get him. That's why he went to there. Judas Iscariot knew exactly where to find the Lord Jesus to betray him with a kiss on the cheek. And it just goes to show you how close you can get to the gate of heaven and still go to hell. He kissed the master on the cheek. And you can find yourself as though you're so close. You're so good. You feel so justified and so righteous in yourself. Even you think yourself to be so holy. And yet you can be so good in this life. But yet so far from the kingdom of God. And find yourself in hell. Notice here the Lord. He takes them into this garden. People think, is he running from his, his calling that his father had placed in him? And the answer is absolutely not. Judas knew exactly where to get him. And, and look, I have lived in Gethsemane all week. I have lived in this garden, as it were, with the Lord Jesus. I may have been in my study in the back room of my house with the door closed, but I personally have lived in Gethsemane all week with Christ. You know what it's done to me? It's broke my heart. It has broken my heart because what we're about to see—the crushing of this olive—if it doesn't break your heart, we then need to check them. It broke my heart. The more I read it over and over and over again, and here's a thought that came to me: Lord, why did you leave the room? Sure, Judas knew you were in that room, and go to Gethsemane. Well, yes, he knew you would resort there many times. But why? Could it be? This is just my thought now. This is a prayer about it and thought about it. Could it be he left that upper room? Because that upper room is probably the upper room of John Mark's mother who writes Mark's gospel. Mark is his second name. He's called John Mark. And it's believed that could be the room of John Mark's mother. And after Jesus dies and he is buried and he rises again and he ascends into glory, we find that the outpouring of the Holy Ghost comes in an upper room. It's probably the same upper room. What if the Jewish authorities and the Roman centurions and all of their soldiers were to watch that room and they were to arrest those disciples? Christ was thinking way ahead because he's God. He's way ahead of you, brother. He's way ahead of you, sister. And could it be that because of this, he takes them away from that room? In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost is poured out upon the 120 in the upper room and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. And it's in that room, that's probably the same room of John Mark's mother. Acts chapter 12, there's a prayer meeting going on when Peter is in prison. Peter's arrested and a prayer meeting's going on. Now, when you hear this for a prayer meeting, they're praying for Peter in prison. Lord, will you release him? Will you get Peter out of prison? And the Lord releases Peter out of prison and he's rapping the door of Rhoda, Rhoda opens the door, slams it in his face and runs to those praying and says, Peter's at the door. And they're saying, well, can't be, we're praying for him. <laughs> oh, lack of faith, church. Many of us are like that. You see, the prayer that we're praying, believing in faith is already on the way. God is still in charge, in control, on the throne, and there's nothing goes beneath him that he does not see. We find here that could it be that this young man, John Mark, who writes Mark's gospel, by the way, in, in Mark's gospel, uh, John Mark who writes it, he speaks of a young man in Gethsemane and he's got a linen robe around him, just a, a garment wrapped around him. I don't know why he wasn't clothed, maybe it was because of the middle of the night or what it was, but he finds himself in Gethsemane. Did he follow Jesus over from the upper room? And did he follow them across the brook Kidron? And did he see him go up on Mount of Olives to the lower slopes? And did he go into the garden of Gethsemane? And then when Jesus is arrested in this garden... We're told, and John Mark writes this. there was a young man there, he doesn't mention his own name. He says he had a garment just wrapped around him. And am paraphrasing, you can read it there. And it says, uh, he, he ran away and the must have grabbed his cloak and he ran through the garden naked. This young man must have been the same and Jesus, I believe, must have been thinking, I'll lead them away from that upper room. Because you see, the Lord wasn't finished with it yet. The Lord wasn't done with it yet. The Holy Ghost was going to be poured out upon 120 in it. There's going to be great prayer meetings in it. And until God says it's finished, listen, you have to hear this, brother. You have to hear this, sister. And it's the same for your life. Until God says that time, that event, that season is over, you have to hear this. Since God before you, who then can be against you? And we need to understand these things. And we find that Jesus goes over to this place to where he time resorted thither. Now it's strange because in Exodus, when well the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 27 and in verse 20, there's a little verse there that tells us about getting the oil to burn in the temple, how they extracted it from the olive. Just a little verse, it's a little golden nugget in the Old Testament. What they did with it, and it brought out a purer, first fruit oil you call it. It's called an, a, a, a holy anointing oil. It's called a, a not only an olive oil, but a green, fresh oil. David prays, anoint me, anointest thou me with fresh oil. How did they extract it? Well, look at Exodus 27 and verse 20 says, And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil, olive beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always. They used to just beat it first of all with a rod or a reed or a stick and it used to start to bleed. The olive started to bleed and the oil that came out of the olive, the bleeding olive, they gathered up the oil, it was purer, it was more uh, refined, there was no bits in it, there, were, there, there was no bits of little bark or shell or whatever was around it of the olive. There, there was nothing impure in it, and they brought it to the temple. And in the temple they lighted the, 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 the menorah, as it's known, that lovely candlestick in the house of the Lord. And whenever they lit that up, it was the pure oil that they used to light it with, the first fruit oil. Do you know what tells me that after Gethsemane, it tells me when the Lord Jesus was arrested in Gethsemane and taken to Pilate's judgment hall. It tells me in Mark's gospel, chapter 15 and verse 19 of the Romans. It says, and they smote him on the head with a reed. They were beating the olive. They were beating the olive. You know what they were trying to do? They were trying to extinguish the light. They were trying to put out the light of God. The one who says, I am the light of the world. They're trying to put out uh, the very light of God. But listen, see the more and the more you watch him through the Gospels, the more you look at him prayerfully, and the more you watch him as he walks uh, from that room across Kidron into Gethsemane, from Gethsemane, then arrested and tried to Calvary, the more you see him, his light isn't put out, his light burns brighter all the way. He keeps burning brighter. Oh, Jesus was beaten as an olive, but the pure precious oil was to burn always, as it says in Exodus 27 and verse 20. Listen, it was to burn always where? In the temple. In the temple. See that oil? You know why he did it? For, uh, why he, he was in Gethsemane? He was in for you. Do you know why he was in it, beaten with threes at Pilate's judgment hall? He did it for you. Do you know why he carried it all the way up Mount Calvary and shed his precious blood? He did it for you. you know why? That you and I who are saved by grace, the temple of the Holy Ghost, that the light would not go out, that the oil would keep on burning the oil of his Holy Ghost within us. Oh, brothers and sisters, here is pictures of Christ and his beauty. And the more we see him, the more lovely he grows. The more they beat him, the greater light shines. The more they beat him, the longer the light shines. And the more they beat him, the purer the light shines. And the more they beat him, the more beautiful his light shines. And listen, it's the same with the body of Christ. Whether it was all the martyrs, whether it was, in, whether it was throughout all time from pagan and papal Rome, right the whole way through. See, the more that they beat the church, All they were doing was setting another candle alight. All they were doing was setting another fire going. All they were doing was one torch was serving to light another. Because you see the holy anointing oil of the Holy Ghost in the church was setting it on fire for those who would be next to come along in the line. What a wonderful saviour. What a wonderful God. He was beaten by man. Note this. The Lord Jesus Christ, the olive He was beaten by man. That's bad enough. When we think of the beatings of Calvary, listen, but he was crushed by God. Get that. He was beaten by man, but he was crushed by God. And so the idea of being crushed, they had a a stone um, bottom of a rock carved out with a funnel like going through it and there was a rounder stone usually on the top and what many of them would have done was put the heavy stone on then a wooden beam and they kept setting weights on it and it crushed it and it crushed it and it crushed it and it crushed it until it was almost to a mush and the oil ran out and down through and they gathered up the oil after the crushing. I want to look for a few moments at God's olive press Gethsemane Want to look at the olive of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Want you to see how he was crushed and crushed and crushed and crushed. crushed. Brothers and sisters, can I say this before we start? We are entering holy ground here. We are entering holy ground. Matthew 26 and verse 37 says, And he took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful. Notice, very heavy. This is the Lord Jesus now. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He began to be very sorrowful. The one who is anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows, the scripture says. The one who, when all were mourning throughout the land because of death, raised them back to life. The one who came in the midst of sickness and healed them all. This one says he began to be very sorrowful, pardon me, sorrowful and very heavy. In Mark's account, in Mark 14 and verse 33, it says of the Lord Jesus, he began to be, notice the term, sore amazed and to be very heavy. Sore amazed and to be very heavy. The idea here is that the Lord Jesus was feeling a sorrow and a grief which overwhelmed him completely. Sore amazed it means to be thrown. You ready? Now this is Christ we're speaking of. Jesus, the Son of God, he was thrown into a terror. And he started to be alarmed in himself. Think about this. He was thrown into a terror. Christ we tend to think, but sure, nothing faces him and nothing, uh, and nothing disturbs him. And we tend to think, but sure, he's God. Yes, he is. He's almighty God. But listen, he is also man and very man. He was terrified, it says. Now, you need to stay with me because there's a reason for this. And he was alarmed at what was happening with him. To be very heavy means to feel uncomfortable. It gives the idea of one that is not at home nor familiar with that which is happening at that moment. Jesus at one point was starting to feel so alarmed and terrified on his own with his lovely disciples lying sleeping. And he was so alarmed with it. He was like... (sighs) I've, I've never experienced this before. I don't know what's going on here. And the Lord is so alarmed. He says, I'm not at home here. starting to be crushed. All of us being crushed. He gives the idea that his first feeling, you ready for this, was one of a terrified surprise. You see, he came to die, he knew his passion, he knew the cross work, and he was full awareness of what lay ahead of him. But in Gethsemane, when it came clearly into view, its terrors exceeded his anticipations. The terrors of Calvary was because of the nails in the hands and the feet. Well, that's part of it. But that's not all of it. Well, what was it, Ken? Well, stay with me and I'll tell you. Stay with me and I'll tell you. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Imagine that. Do you know the Lord Jesus had to read like you read? He had to learn like you learn, yet he was the word of God. He had two natures. Human and divine. As a man, he had to do the things that you did. That is to learn and to study the scriptures. He had to learn. This was a lesson of inconceivable awe. God was crushing the olive. The weight went on. The crushing continues. Listen, the weight increases here. Matthew 26 and verse 38, please. Matthew 26, verse 38. The Lord Jesus says, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Now, I'm going to be honest. See the part, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. That that catches us right away. But you know what caught me when I read that? And I've read it, I don't know, many times tarry ye here and watch with me. I went to visit a, a man during the week, very ill, very, very ill. And he said to me, you know, even if I go to sleep and I'm talking to you and I'm not able to talk, don't, I'm not being an ignorant pastor. I says, look, don't you worry about it. You fall asleep if you need to fall asleep. And he says, but I just know somebody's there with me. Jesus said to these men, Stay here and wait with me. Just watch with me, would you? That caught me. That got to me. Oh Jesus. How often we sleep on duty. How often we lack ministry? My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. The master becomes to be so distressed. It means it's an overpowering mental distress he has. It's a distress which follows a great shock. And he was confused. It means he was restless. And listen, this is the way the Greek scholars, I'm taking this from Greek scholars, it means a half distracted like state. He was one way and he he didn't know what way to turn and he was distracted. He didn't know what... Guys, boys... (laughs) Stay with me and watch, will you? You've never thought of Christ like that before, sure you haven't? And this was before the cross. That's the idea of it. Grief. You ready? Grief saturated his conscience. So that he thought he was going to die in the garden. And there and then, death started to come around him. And he felt the horrors of the darkness. I'm bringing you someone somewhere here because you might say, that's impossible for Christ. Listen, he was a man and it happened. But you know why? There's a reason. Notice here in verse 39, Matthew 26, verse 39, the crushing gets heavier. He went a little further and fell on his face. You and I tend to think, well, there you are. He went a bit and he got down and he fell. Oh, no. The idea is it's what's known as an imperfect verb in the original Greek text, and it means he'd get up. With the weight of all that was coming on him and the horrors of death surrounding him and everything that was so uncomfortable that he did never even experience before. And he raises himself up and he falls to the ground. The imperfect verb means he raises himself up and he falls. And he raises himself up in prayer and he falls. And he raises himself up in prayer and he falls again on his face. And he falls. And he raises himself up and he falls. And he falls. And he falls. And he, falls. And he keeps on falling. Just holy ground. It says went a little further on his face and he prayed. The prayer is also an imperfect verb so when he's raising himself up he's crying Father. He falls. Oh Father and he falls. And he raises himself up. Father! In fact in one account it says he cries Abba Daddy Mark 14 in verse 35, he prays that the hour might pass from him. The dreaded hour. What is the hour that he prays might pass from him? Well, all that's coming on him, the dreaded hour as he knows all that's going to happen on the cross. And you and I automatically think of the horrible, torturous implement that he was crucified on. We think of the crown of thorns we think of the whipping pokes before it. We think of the lashings and the beatings and, and we think of the nails in the hands and the nails in the feet. Oh, horrific. That wasn't the worst and I said it with reverence to my Savior. It wasn't that. That may bore part of it. But when he hung on the cross, he knew, you ready? The wrath of God the wrath of his father would be poured out upon him and his anticipation or expectations were superseded by the anticipation of what was to come. There he knows he'll hang there with the wrath and the anger of a just God. That was yours. That was mine. A God who was just in delivering this punishment out upon his son because he died and took it for you and he took it for me that you and I would not stand before this same God on that day. Now listen, thank the Lord that Jesus went all the way. Praise his name, he shed his blood on the cross. Because he took my sin and my sorrow and he made it his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and he suffered and he died alone. Oh, thank God for his son. Because all of that fear and that dread and that deathly grip around us and the crushing of would be even worse as it gathers up over the years of you and me and we stand before God and he declares us, guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. You're not saved, you're guilty. Lawbreaking, the law of God. Jesus took your sin and yours, and yours, and yours, and yours, and yours, and yours. And all of our sin was laid on him. So now in the garden he's being crushed. And he knows that the wrath of God would be poured out upon him. That he would be found, as it were, in the eyes of his father. He, he knew no sin. He did no sin. He was yet without sin. He, who was holy and harmless and undefiled and separate from sinners, he's now being poured, out, seeing the wrath of God poured out upon him as he's hanging on the cross. And in the garden, he sees it and he realizes the dread of it all. Now, if Christ is like that before his father, for Forbearing your sin and mine, if you're not in Christ and you're not forgiven of your sin and you're not trusting in him and you're not washed in the blood, then how will you feel in that day when you stand before him in all of your sin? And he was crushed in the garden and death was around him, clutching on to him and the very fears and the pangs of it all, the wrath of God waiting for him. And he cries, oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. That's what's happened in Gethsemane. He wasn't running away. You must be joking. He came to die. He wasn't just crying because he was going to a... As horrible as it would, and I'd be crying myself, but he wasn't crying because he was going to Calvary. Of course, what lay ahead of him was horrific. He's crying because he would be judged by his Father. He had never known separation from his Father. He never knew what sin was like and your sin and mine was placed and put upon him. And the Father's wrath was poured out upon him. Do you know what that means for the the man and the woman who gets saved and come to Christ? That all your sin and him, it means all the wrath was poured out upon the Father. See, when the Father looks at me, and I'm far from perfect. But see, when the Father looks upon me, you know what he sees? He sees nothing but righteousness. Yeah. Right. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ's perfection. And he looks at me, and the devil may come between me and God and say, look at Ken Davidson. He's failed again. Sure, he's no good. He may trespass, but he's no good. And when my Heavenly Father looks at me, my great advocate standing there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He stands and the father looks, he says, the devil goes, look at this and look at that. sure he's no good for this, that and the other. And he'll try even and concoct a million things to bring against me. And the father will look at me, but he'll look at me through his son and he will say to the devil, sin? What sin? I say none. Because Jesus paid it all. <laughs> I am righteous in Christ. Let me try and run you a few, just a few things and we'll close this. John in his gospel gives fives, mine are is not yet. We'll not look at them all, but the first one is in John 2 and 4. And and uh, that would be at Jesus at the wedding of Canaan in Galilee, and he says to Mary his mother, "Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet, not yet for my glorification." The second one is in John chapter seven. If you want to turn, we'll just briefly look at it. John chapter seven. The Lord Jesus and his disciples are speaking about going to the uh, to the feast of tabernacles. And he sends on his disciples, but it says in verse 30, And they sought to take him, the Lord Jesus. These are those who are around the temple, the Jews. They sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. And they, 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 no matter what they were trying to do to kill him, Jesus just walked straight through them like a hot knife through butter at times. They couldn't touch him. You know why? Because he had to get to the cross. And later on, you'll see, it's in this chapter in verse 37, At the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth in me. The scripture said, Of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Notice in chapter 8 and verse 20. Chapter 8, verse 20. The Lord Jesus is in the temple and says, These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him. Notice, for his hour was not yet come. Here he's right into their temple. The place where the holy oil was. The place where the the menorah uh, candlestick were, The seven bronze candlestick. Here he was where all the ritual and the ceremony was. Here he was where all the offerings were brought into. The very treasury. Into the greedy storehouse. I still couldn't take him because his hour wasn't come. Notice in John chapter twelve and verse twenty-three. It says, and Jesus saying, then answered them, pardon me, and Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come. The Son of Man should be glorified. And notice if you like your I run down to verse twenty seven. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Jesus is speaking of the time when he's ready to go to Calvary. And then John 13 and verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that He should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved His own, which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. Isn't that beautiful? I think about this. The orb has come. He's going to go to this garden, and He's saying, "We're not staying in the upper room, boys. That's going to be used for something else. We're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm going to go and be judged. I'm going to go to the cross." And notice, notice what it says. Right until He cried, "It is finished," and He. He put his head on a his breast and gave up the ghost. Listen, it says, and having loved his own. Are you one of his own? Are you his? And having loved his own. Notice that we're in the world. He's now saying, I'm going to the father. I'm leaving here having loved his own that were in the world. Notice what it says. He loved them. unto the end. Now listen, do you know what that gives the idea of? When I read that again, I've read it again. I don't know many times, but I said I've lived in this all week. I've just seen him in Gethsemane. I've just seen him carrying his cross, blood streaming from his back and all over him. I've seen him get up to Golgotha's hill. I've seen him to where the Mount of Olives is there seen it all and the spirit of God showing it to my mind's eye and I've just worshipped him and here's what I've seen having loved his own that were in the world he loved them right through Calvary he loved me right to the end I'm here because there's a guy called Ken Davidson and you know there's going to be a time when he is so down and out it's going to be a time when he's addicted to all sorts of substances of alcohol and drugs and all that sort of stuff. And Ken Davidson's going to be in a terrible state. There's going to be a time when Ken Davidson is going to look to me and he's going to realize Jesus loves him. You need to realize that Jesus loves you. And he did it for you. Having loved them his own, that were in the world he loved them, on to the end. There's a lovely bit in Luke's gospel, in Luke's account, Luke 22 and verse 43. And it says, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Now, Luke's the only one that tells us this. Luke's a doctor. And he's a bit maybe more meticulous with things. But here he says, There was an angel appeared from heaven, strengthening Jesus. Now, here's the indictment on the disciples. Here's the indictment on the church. They're asleep when the master says, would you watch with me? They're asleep when the master says, look guys, will you come alongside of me? They're lying asleep when the master's going through it all. And God had to dispatch an angel to do what the disciples should have done. I believe in God dispatching angels. I believe that. The Bible's full of it. But I can tell you, church, God dispatches you to worship him. God dispatches you to minister to him. Amen. God dispatches you to love him first and then God dispatches you to go out into the world Amen. That's right. to be his hands and his feet. Right. So Luke 22 and 44. Luke twenty-two forty-four 44 says, And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat were, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, notice, it gives you, so he's rising, he's falling, he's praying, and he's crying unto his Father. And then it says this, and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. There's a, a rare phenomenon, and it's called hematohydrosis. And it's when someone is under extreme mental or physical or spiritual pressure that the little capillary vessels around the head, sometimes it can be in other parts of the body actually, but here in Christ he sweat, as it were, like great drops of blood and they burst and they mingle with the sweat and make it look like great drops of blood. See the olive being crushed. See God's crushing his olive now to the point where the weight is on him now, the oil starts to flow. Do you know the best times in your life, brother? And I hate to say this, but it's the truth. Best times in your life, sisters, when you're being crushed. You might not think it, but you know why? It's whenever. If you run into God, it's when the oil starts to flow. Because He gets all the glory. He gets the glory. I'm closing. So it's not just the physical torture, but the full weight and the guilt of our shame and our sin upon him and the wrath of the Father. He says in Matthew 26, 38, tarry ye here, watch with me. Do you know what I actually did? And I don't usually do this on my, my sermon notes. This might seem strange as I read it. It broke my heart. I drew a wee face with hair coming down. That's how I felt at that moment. You here him, wait with me. Wait with me, Peter. James, John. Just wait, wait with me, guys. Will you pray? He finds them sleeping. Matthew 26 and 40, he says a second time, what, could you not watch with me one hour? He says in verse 43, it says, he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Dear love them. What? Well, Lord, I'm getting it tough. Well, you know what? He says, I know all about it. Go to Gethsemane. See my crushing before the cross. Then see my father pour out his wrath upon me that was yours. And then tell me you're getting it hard. So I wrote this. The longer I stay awake in Gethsemane with Jesus to behold his agony, the more I'm in awe and wonder at him. And my heart is broken within me. This is my last verse. I want to just clear up just in case someone would say to you, Oh, Jesus Christ, that he wouldn't go to the cross. I want to prove that that is not true. Hebrews chapter 5. This is our last verse. Verse 7. Says of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 5 and 7. who. In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death, and that he was and and was heard, and that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things. Which he suffered. Notice who, in the days of his flesh, we had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. And people will tell you, see, Jesus, when he's praying, Father, take this cup from me. He was crying unto God, I don't want to die. Take this cup from me. I didn't come to die. Take this cup from me. That's not true. That is not true. For example, the words here from death, to save him from death. There's two words for this word from. And there's one word, and it's a word, Apo, A-P-O in the English, and it means from the edge off and away. From the edge off and away. In other words, if I say to you, say, uh, little Olivia is being dedicated so Gareth and Hannah, saying we're coming to church on Sunday night for dedication, and you come and you come to the doors here, and you look, and I see you through the doors, and I say, oh, there's the family have come to bring the wee one for dedication. You wave at me, and you turn, and you walk away home again. That's apo. You didn't come right in, but you came. You said you would. You came a certain distance. You seen it right to the edge of the church, and you went again. That's apo from death. The word here is ach. E-K in the English. And uh, and it's what you've done tonight. We want to get little Olivia dedicated. So Gareth and Helen and the family come in. They come in those doors. They come right in here. And they have the child dedicated unto the Lord. And they're singing and they're participating in the very heart, in the very center of the meeting. And then when we're finished, you will leave here again. That's the word, Ack. The words here that Jesus was crying unto his father. That he might save him from death is the words. From in the midst of death you will resurrect me O God. That's the idea of it. Jesus was praying that he knew his father would raise him from the middle of death. That he would rise again on the third day. That's the idea of it. Father I know your wrath is on me because of somebody like Ken Davidson or Aaron Wilkins or whoever else. But I know, Father, that I will not leave my soul in hell or amongst the dead. Neither will I suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Father, I'm crying unto you because your wrath is what I fear. I'm at I'm feeling so at a loss, distracted because I've never experienced sin before because he's holy. Brothers and sisters, that's the Christ who went up Calvary's hill and that's the Christ who died for you. Gethsemane. I trust you'll never look at Gethsemane glibly or flippantly or whatever way again, but rather you might linger there and you might tarry there. And you might stay awake there that you might behold his agony and Gethsemane, the lovely Christ of God. May God bless his word to us. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen.